what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. A lot of what I knew about my home country was through the storytelling that I had heard from my parents. And I, that is really what laid the foundation down for me as far as my love for storytelling and my love for bringing experiences to life through words. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, a show that sheds light on the often untold teenage and young adult stories of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I'm Asha Gabriel, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend and Bridget COO, Kashia Rosenberg. Today, we have a special guest on, Charlie Cooper. Charlie Cooper is an on-air host, an entertainment reporter, and entrepreneur who has been in the journalism game for over a decade. She's worked in television, editorial, and social media throughout her career, including a recent stint serving as a main host and producer of Rolling Stone Magazine's daily show on Twitch. She currently reports for The Broadway Show, a New York City-based, nationally syndicated weekly TV show that airs in over 170 markets across the country. Some other notable career stops Charlie has made along the way include CBS New York, Essence Magazine, and BET Networks. She loves covering live events, including major music festivals like Coachella, Lollapalooza, and South by Southwest. She also partners with brands as a full-time content creator and is a host of Airbnb short-term rentals. She's found a passion in creating unique accommodations across the country for creatives to stay, relax, and be inspired. When Charlie isn't juggling a million and one things career-wise, you can find her cooking a semi-healthy meal or trying new restaurants, traveling to exciting destinations, indulging in new experiences, and sharing it all on her social media to encourage others to experience life more boldly. She believes a big part of her purpose is to serve, take calculated risks that inspire others, and to do the things that bring her and those around her joy. So, Charlie, I don't know where to start. You have so much on your plate, and I'm so excited to dive into it um, with you here today. But thank you for joining us and just bringing your story to our table. Excited to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course. Well, as you might know, we love to dive right into the childhood, youth experiences, formative experiences um, that really inform the person you are today. So if you could just take us back to where you grew up, we'd love it. Yeah, definitely. So I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. But before that even happened, my family is originally from West Africa. So we're from Monrovia, Liberia. And we came here because of the Civil War. Um, and so much of my upbringing did happen in Rhode Island. But I grew up in a household that is very proudly African. And so it's funny, my mom used to always say, when you walk in my house, you walk into Africa. So she didn't play. Like we, we ate African food. We all of the things, all of the things. My um, childhood was very much immersive in that experience. And um, I really appreciate my parents for just staying true to that background um, because it's definitely something that has defined so many parts of me. And I feel like even to this day, there are moments where I'm like, huh, I feel like I'm interested in that thing because of my upbringing. One of those things being journalism, for example, 
obviously because I came here at such a young age, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I came here when I was a child. So I was about two months old. My siblings, I have five siblings. My siblings were a little older, um, five, six, seven, and then like 12, 13. So they were much older when they when they came, but um, I was a baby. And so a lot of what I knew about my home country was through the storytelling that I had heard from my parents and from siblings and from family members. And I think that that is really what laid the foundation down for me as far as my love for storytelling and my love for bringing experiences to life through words. I love that. And I mean, I love just picturing the fullness of your your family experience from such a young age to have so many siblings and to really have a cultural experience that it was so authentic that they brought here to the U.S. I think is a gift for a child in that kind of family and also for the people that you, I'm sure, have interacted with along the way, just bringing that cultural richness to every setting that you came across. I love hearing about big families and the sibling dynamics, how everyone was different or similar? What were your interactions like with your siblings at home? Yeah. So my parents were really big on preaching the importance of family. And so we were very, very close. Um, So much so that like my mom calls my sister like small mom or like Mm -hmm. small pa, you know, so some of my brothers because like they helped raise us. And to this day, it's funny because I ran into someone recently and I was with my brother and he kind of joked like, I'm going to be watching him to see if he takes good care of you. And my brother was like, I've been taking care of her since I was like five years old. (laughs) So it's funny because it was like, truly, I mean, that's been the case. He's been a second father to me. And my sister, um, my oldest sister, Zoe, has been like a second mom to me. My other siblings, too, have played very important roles as well. But uh, those two, for sure, have just marked their stamp on my life as being like second parents. Um, And it's, it's been an incredible experience just being the baby of six and people are like, were you spoiled? I don't know that I was spoiled necessarily because as the baby, there would be moments where I remember my siblings getting away with a lot of stuff that I didn't necessarily get away with, <laughs> get away with. But it was nice to kind of have some sort of like groundwork laid for me. For example, with college, I had my siblings who I was able to kind of watch go through that process. And obviously I was able to go through my own process and make my own mistakes, but it's always nice to have somebody who came before you, who you can ask questions to and kind of help guide you through the process. So yeah, we were really close. We still are incredibly close. That is so cool. Now, so you said you were a baby when you came over. Um, Obviously your siblings with those age differences, some of them were older when your family moved here. What do you know about, you know, just your parents and your older siblings, their experience of moving here to a new country um, and kind of setting up shop? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know everything about it because of that storytelling, but then also because I lived a lot of it. It's really interesting because for the first time ever, I visited Liberia probably a year ago, almost, almost a year ago with my mom and my dad. And it was my mom's first time going back. It was a trip that was like really enlightening. It was one of those things where it's really funny. People talk about manifestation. And I remember for a long time, I would always say, I'm not going back to Liberia until my mom is ready. And I never knew why that was in my spirit to say that. But whenever people would ask me if I've been to Liberia, that was always my answer. And so it was just kind of ironic how it all happened because the plan was never for me to really go with them. But then I just happened to go with them. And now looking back retrospectively at the entire trip, I'm like, I was meant to be there because a lot of heavy things um, happened. Because I mean, if you think about it, this is these are two people who 
my dad had been there since the Civil War, but my mom hadn't. So it's been over 30 years since she's been there. She remembers leaving a country prior to the war where they were doing so well and they were just so prominent in the community. And they they remember just a country that was flourishing and all of the things. And um, and and then after that, it was the war. And so I think that's why it took her so long to want to go back because she didn't know what she was going back to. It was a really rewarding trip. And that kind of helped make a lot of the stories that I've heard over the course of time make more sense. It gave a lot more context to kind of be in that space and to see what they were referring to all of these years, but also make some new memories with them. But I know coming to a new country, it's it's never easy, um, especially when you're running from war. You're going to a country that you were never familiar with. My parents traveled a lot when they were in um, Liberia, but they had never come to the States. So it was literally starting your life from nothing essentially. And um, I think even that has played a big role in my love for service and for people because I've seen how other people have served my family, especially um, moving to Rhode Island. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have very much. um, And it was a struggle for a very, very long time. And so for me, I'm always, I always have a heart for giving back because I know that had it not been for complete strangers giving to my family and helping us during difficult years, I don't know where we would be. So. It's so cool hearing that, you know, you had that experience of going back with your parents alongside them. I can totally relate to you. So my mom's a first generation immigrant from India and she left when she was 21. And I remember kind of having that same narrative in my head where it's like people would ask, like, oh, your mom's from India. Have you been? And in my head, once I was even old enough to understand that question, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, well, you know, my mom wants to go when we're all like old enough to understand it. Yeah. Because that's kind of what she would say to us. And we're like, what? what's India? You know, right. Uh, when we were little kids. And that's what that's what her answer was. And we finally had the chance to go back with her. And we literally we walked to the place where her home was, wow. like the elementary school she went to, the milk stand her mom and sister worked at. Yeah. And it was so so amazing. I think I wondered at times, I was like, this is probably just such a full experience for her in so many ways. Like obviously the place has changed a lot Mm -hmm. from what it was when she grew up there, but also I'm sure the experience of having yourself change so much in the time that you're away from a place and realizing like, wow, who I am, you know, and my experience is disconnected from this place, but still so foundational here. Totally, totally. So, so cool. Um, So when you were a kid, you know, you had that storytelling element in your life from the very beginning. Were you outgoing from the get-go? Because you're clearly a very, like, engaged, outgoing person. Has this always been there for you? Yeah, I would definitely say so. It's so funny because it's really interesting to hear people's perspectives of me. Like, I can always tell how comfortable I am with someone based on the way they describe me. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. some people think I'm completely shy. Like, I remember one of my mom's, like, closest friends was like shocked a few years ago that I was outspoken. And she was just like, I never knew this about you. I feel like I've known this. I've known you forever. And like, you've always been very shy. And I remember thinking, I don't ever remember being shy. (laughs) But I think for me, it takes a little while to, or not a little while, but I think if I'm comfortable with you quickly, you'll see that side of me. But if I'm like a little reserved, you'll see me being a little reserved. So it's pretty interesting. But I'd say I've been outgoing for sure, for forever, in my mind, at least. Um, I've always been one of those people who like does what I want. I don't care what people say. Like, it's funny. I commented on somebody's post the other day on Instagram because they had like this denim look that was like kind of crazy. And people were going nuts in their comments being like, this looks horrible. Like you should stick to just wearing like whatever. And I 
And I had to comment because I was like, honestly, this reminds me of myself as a child. I remember I used to wear my denim inside out on purpose um, to school because I just used to try a bunch of different like fashion style things to school. And I remember I had this one teacher who would always like joke on me and be like, do you get dressed in the dark? And I'd always like troll and be like, yeah, I do. You know, and then yeah. years later, it became a fashion trend. Exactly. <laughs> but it's like years later in my adulthood, it became a fashion trend. And it's just like, how ironic, you know? So I've always been that person who like, if I want to wear something, I'm going to wear it. If I want to try something, I'm going to try it. If I want to take a risk, I'm going to take it and we'll just see what happens. Um, so, and I think that um, having a bunch of outgoing siblings really just um, built up my confidence also, my parents have always been the type of parents to, to like hype me up. They've always been like, you're the best, even when I wasn't the best. <laughs> they were like, you're the best as long as you're giving whatever it is your best, you're the best. You know, so I, I grew up with a lot of, I guess, just people feeding into me positive words. And also my mom, just my mom and my dad encouraging us all to like just lift each other up all the time. Um, and so that's just been a part of my my life and my existence. And what I try to do as an adult too. Like, I feel like with my friends, I, I love on them so heavily. Like I don't have a problem telling them I love them. I don't have a problem like vocalizing how proud I am of them or whatever it might be. So what careers were your parents in? Yeah. Yeah. So my mom worked for the Providence public school department doing a whole bunch of different things. And then my dad was a social worker. So yeah. Were they in similar fields before you moved here or did they kind of just like land and take off in those places? Yeah. So they were in completely different fields in Liberia. So Hmm. in Liberia, my dad was a, uh, he dealt with like money. I can't remember the fields, but he dealt with money. Um, And then in Liberia, my mom worked for USAID. Um, and so that's how she was able to like travel a bunch and um, just be connected around the world. But that completely changed when they um, were displaced. Wow. So, finance, so literally finance. That's, that's the, finance. I, 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 here's the word. I was, like, I was like, what is the word? <laughs> Money. It's the same thing. Um, but I mean, I'm loud because it's like to, to move. I have two children and it's like, you change the schedule. It's like, oh, her nap is 30 minutes later. And it's like, oh, like, how am I going to change my whole day? You know, <laughs> right. like to move with six kids to a completely yeah. new country, really take on different, you know, career paths, but still stay so, um, you know, empowering and up- uplifting. It kind of sounds like your parents were basically running their own little village yeah. where it's like, okay, guys, we're together and we got to lift each other up. And, you know, we're, we're all each other have at the end of the day. It's like, I, I love, my parents said a similar thing to us growing up. It was like, well, you know, your siblings are like, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have all these different things, competition, whatever. But it's like, your siblings are a gift to you. Totally. They're a little community that you really can't find exactly that way in any other place so totally um that is so cool so your siblings now what kind of different fields have they gone into are they are they all outgoing I know you said like you had pretty outgoing siblings yeah yeah so I yeah I feel like they're all outgoing to be honest um yeah because I just think about like Thanksgiving we're all loud and like singing and dancing and Uh acting silly and it's it's a time but they all do different things um I have two siblings who are both attorneys 
Um, I have another sibling who is a social worker. I have, it's so funny because I'm thinking about it because there are so many of <laughs> them. So I'm like, I don't want to miss anybody. I, I know. I'm um, like, I'd have to like make flashcards. I'm like, these are my siblings' names. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I have another sibling who's in medical technology and then one more sibling who is a gospel singer. So he tours around the world um, doing gospel music. So, yeah. so cool. Yeah. When you were in school, did you always have an idea of what you might want to do or did that iterate a few times? Yeah, I feel like it's really interesting because when I think about it today and sometimes I joke about this. So when I was a kid, there was one point where I mean, for a long time, to be completely honest, I wanted to be a detective because crime just really fascinates me um, and the way that the human mind works in that scenario in various scenarios, rather, um, is really fascinating to me and solving those things. Um, so for a long time, I wanted to be a detective, but I just didn't want to have to be like a cop on the streets. And I learned that you okay. had to do that. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good on that. And then at one point when I was really, really young, I wanted to be, I always say a rapper, I guess more like a poet or a writer. But sure, it's funny because nowadays I'm like, I sometimes joke that I kind of get the opportunity to fuse both of those passions because I get to speak, I get to use my voice. I get to be in the entertainment space, maybe not as a rapper, but, um, and then I also get that investigative portion and that storytelling portion kind of used together when I'm interviewing people and learning more about them. So, um, yeah. it's really interesting to see how the little things that you have interest in as a kid turn into this, like amalgamation in your adulthood. I will say though, in college, my dad really, I mean, immigrant family. So my dad really wanted me to be a doctor and I, Went into college pre-med and was just like, I hate this. And I was always like one of those students who like on the honor roll, did well, top of my class. Yeah. Freshman year was a hot mess <laughs> because he wanted me to be do pre-med and I'm like, okay, I'll try it out. But it just, it just, I hate science. I hate being in hospitals. It just did not make sense. But I'm like, let me try it out. Did terribly. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to bargain with you. Do what you want in the next semester and let's see how things change. And I did. And completely night and day. <laughs> so, you know, it's so funny too. like, we try the things that like our parents want us to do, especially if they're supportive, loving parents. Mm -hmm. I had this like idea in my mind for a long time that I was going to be a pediatrician because I was like, I always loved babies. My yeah. parents were doctors. So I was like, maybe that's the kind of doctor I should be. And we, I just remember this was like seventh grade. We have these turning points, right? Mm -hmm. Seventh grade, they pulled out the fetal pigs for dissection. <sighs> they put one on my table and I had my first, I believe, I think it was a panic attack. Now. Moment I, don't, of truth. I didn't have to work for it then, but I was just, I was like, I can't be, I can't be in this room, much less like <laughs> actually cutting up in this little cute little thing. Right. I went in the hallway and was like, really like having a hard time. And the teacher was like, you know, you can just like do the written report or something. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, whatever. Like I'm going to be fine. But in my mind, it was such a big deal. Cause I was like, this is my world review is like change. I'm like this means I can't yep. be a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and it was felt so big at the time. Cause I was like, but this is what I, I thought, you know, I was going to be, right. um, but it just changes. But then you kind of look back and little bits of, and things like you were saying, like the, the poetry aspect or like uh, rapping is like interesting to me for some reason, but like, you know, you're not a rapper now, but I, I right. do kind of feel like these little interests, like I was super into like poetry too. Mm -hmm. I write like song lyrics and I was like, maybe I'll be like a, a lyric writer someday. Yeah. And I don't do that. But I also feel like when I've done public speaking and that kind of thing, I get into like a flow that's not like I'm rapping, but I do feel like the energy kind of hits. And then it's mm -hmm. like, I don't know when I, when I'm speaking, sometimes it does feel like I'm almost singing or performing, if that makes any sense. Right. So it's like little, little things that we, we like or don't like, you know, do continue like every learning, whether it's a thing you like or something that you really don't like, 
it all kind of comes together into, you know, the the tapestry of of your career, however that looks. Um, we love we love sharing little moments and things like that with our audience because we coach teen girls mm-hmm. in these areas, and I think that there can be so much pressure these yes. days for it's like okay, you know, you're eight. What are you into? What are you going to be? And it's right. like, you know, yeah, pay attention to the things that like get you going that feel like exciting to you, but you don't have to make so many decisions right now. Yeah, exactly. Like just kind of be. And enjoy yeah. that that being space. And also just, I think, nourishing your kids um, in a way that, like, celebrates the things that they're just naturally into. I think my mom yes. did a fantastic job at that. Like, I loved, like, dancing when I was a kid. And she'd put me in, like, little classes. And even that, like, I think all of that just has to do with just the entertainment space and my love for it. And mm-hmm. look at it now, you know? So. So cool. As you're going through school... What did like the transitions between like elementary to high school, high school to college look like for you? And what was kind of on your mind in terms of like where you thought you were going at those times? Yeah. So I'd probably say from middle school to high school, there was a little bit of pressure because um, my siblings are overachievers. Let's just be honest. Um, For example, my sister, the one who I kind of referenced as like my second mom, she went to like a really top performing high school and it was the high school that everybody wanted me to go to as well, kind of following her footsteps. And um, my brothers went to the high school that was right next to it and they were like star athletes. And so it was it was a lot to like, you know, hard acts to follow. Um, I did thankfully end up getting into that high school that my sister um, went to. And it was a fantastic experience and still a lot of pressure, though. I just actually told somebody this story the other day. Um, Addie, actually, who was on your show, she had asked me, she was like, do you want to run a, a, a 5K or a, I think it was a 5K? And I was like, oh, girl, I'm not the one to run that much. And I'll tell you why. And I and and I kind of explained to her how um, my sister was like a track athlete in high school and the track coach loved her and everybody loved her. And um, when I got there, everyone was like, well, you're going to do track too, right? And I was like, no, I don't, I'm not really into that. But I tried it my senior year, failed horribly <laughs> at it. And it was another one of those lessons where it's like, I just need to do the things that I want to do. Because when I do the things that I want to do, I excel at those things. But when I'm forcing it, it's very clear that it's it's a force. <laughs> um, yeah. So had a little bit of pressure in high school because of those conditions, but loved my experience there. I feel like I grew and developed so much throughout my high school experience. And then going to college was, I always knew that I wanted to leave Rhode Island because Rhode Island's small. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I feel like I have a new appreciation for Rhode Island now that I'm an adult and I can experience different things that maybe didn't interest me when I was in high school, but I knew that I wanted to leave. I knew I wanted bigger. I had always dreamed about living in New York. The first book I ever learned to read was called My City. I can't find it online anywhere though. I I feel like every couple of years I look for it. It's called My City and it's a book about New York and like different characters in New York and their lives in New York. And my sister, Zoe, the one that I keep referring to, taught me how to read my first book, which was My City. And I think once I read My City, in my mind, I was always like, I have to live in New York. Like this is, this is the life that I'm called to. (laughs) And so, um, I ended up going to school in upstate New York, getting my um, bachelor's. And then I moved to New York City because I had so many friends who were from the city. And I knew I wanted to move to New York City to do journalism. Moved here for a couple of years, decided to go back upstate to Syracuse and get my master's in journalism. Um, and then things kind of turned because I was like, oh, of course, I'm going to go back to New York and you know do this. But I realized 
something that I didn't know before, which was a lot of the times um, with journalism, you kind of have to work your way up as far as markets go. And New York is the number one market. So it's like, probably not jumping from not being there to being there as a on-air journalist, at at, at least, you know? So um, that journey kind of took me to Virginia, which was um, my first market, Roanoke, Virginia, and then took me to Texas. And then I made my, my way back to New York. So living the dream, literally. Yeah. Well, taking it where you know, it needed to take you. At any point along the way, starting to pursue journalism, did you have moments where you questioned what you were doing or you ran into like an obstacle that seemed insurmountable at the time? Yeah. I mean, all the time, even now, you know, but um, I feel like the most pivotal ones were, well, there were several. So I remember in grad school, I just had heard and had done a lot of research and people were always like, you have to start at market, I always joke, market a billion. People are always like, you have to start at market 359 and work your way up. And I've always been the type of person to be like, no, I'm not. I'm going to just figure this out. Like, I'm going to see if I can start a little higher. And thankfully, I was able to start in like a market 60 or 70, something like that, uh, which is pretty high for somebody who was brand new to the industry. And I'm super grateful for, I still don't know which professor recommended me for this job, but I got a call one day from um, the station I worked at in Roanoke and the news director was like raving about this professor who had called him. And I'm like, I still don't know who it is, but I'm so grateful for whoever it is took that job. But even then I was like apprehensive about it because I'm like, am I ready for that? Like, even though I feel like I want that job, but am I ready to jump into a mid-sized market as someone who was super new to this craft at the time? And don't judge me, but at the time I did not know how to drive. I literally learned how to drive on news cars. Like, news I love it. I just crazy, but I was like, I'm gonna figure it out. I don't care. I'm gonna figure it out. I got my license in grad school. I was 25. Got my license in grad school. First vehicle I learned how to like truly drive on was a news vehicle. But I, I went to that market, did really well. Um, I was supposed to be there for two years. I stayed for a little over a year and got then got an offer in San Antonio, Texas. So I'm like, okay, we're moving up. Um, my parents were really nervous because they were like, you don't know anybody in Texas. You've never lived in Texas. Like there was a lot of like nerves there being the baby of the family. My mom has always been like super overprotective, but also has always encouraged me, but also been like, no, but my baby, you know, but I was like, we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. We're going to go and we're going to figure it out. And that's exactly what I did. Um, But I think every step in my career came with some sort of like nervousness or some sort of like, ugh. Um, like, should I be doing this? Should I not? I remember even having mentors in Virginia who worked at my station who I looked up to and loved, but were like, oh, you're going to move to Texas? Like, it's one of those places where like, if you don't do well, they're going to fire you and all of these things. And I'm like, well, we'll see. I always say my saying is like sink or swim. And I know I'm never going to sink. Like, that's yeah. it. You just have to make up your mind that you're not going to sink and that you're going to figure it out. And so I moved, um, moved to Texas, figured it out was there for a little longer than my contract because I, I loved everybody I worked with. I had a, an amazing time there. It was just so far from family though. Um, and again, I always had the goal to go to New York, but even that was incredibly risky. Like I left that station, which was a great job, loved the city, had so much success there, but was like, I know that New York is calling me back. I don't know how this is going to play out because I knew I wanted to go back into entertainment. Um, Because the whole thing for me was I was working in entertainment when I got out of undergrad, but 
I think at that time I didn't value it as much. I remember saying when one of my best friends um, moved me out of my apartment right before grad school, I was like, I don't care what Beyonce is wearing at X, Y, and Z award show. Like, I, But for me in that moment, I just felt like, at least from my experience, the entertainment space wasn't bringing the value that I wanted to see. And so I was like, I'm going to grad school so I can learn how to critically think, so I can learn how to tell stories on a deeper level, and so I can do like hard news. And I did that. But the hard news space is one of those places where I just feel like I always say I feel like journalists deserve to have like therapy just intertwined in their benefits package. Because the things that you see, the things you report on, all of that stuff is just it can be dramatic. It really can. And I think I was just kind of tired of the daily trauma or what felt like daily Mm -hmm. trauma. And I felt like I could bring value to the entertainment space. I felt like I had learned a lot. I had gotten the experience that I left New York hoping to get. And so I was like, I'm going to return there. But I had a big struggle doing that because whenever I would send out my reel, a lot of like news directors and hiring managers in New York would be like, okay, I can see that you can tell hard news stories really well, but I don't know how that's going to translate in an entertainment space. Like I, I can't see your personality, but it's like, it's hard to inject personality when you're talking about a homicide at two in the morning. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So right. Um, so that was a really big challenge for me. And at one point, I just said to myself, you know what? I have to sell my car because I knew that would be the thing that would just get me out of San Antonio. Um, I was like, yeah. I have to sell my car and I'm leaving. Like, I'm giving myself a deadline by April. You got to get out of here. So I sold my car, I think, a couple of months prior to me leaving. Or I think I left in July. Sold it a couple months prior to me leaving. And it was a struggle getting around San Antonio. And I'm like, yeah. That was the thing I needed to do. You got to go. Like, that was the point. Yeah. So, so I left, um, moved to New York. Thankfully, at the time, my brother was living here. So I kind of crashed with him for a little while. And I had told myself, I'm never doing local news again. I'm not interested. And then I get a call from CBS to New York. And I'm like, well, who says no to CBS in the biggest yeah. market? And, you know, so I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> I kind of fell back. I know. I fell back into that space. And realize like, no, you came here with a, you came here intentionally and with a purpose. You said you weren't interested in doing local news anymore. It's not bringing you the joy that you wanted to bring. Uh, And that's so important to me, like the work that I do, not feeling like a burden, because I think I do my best work when I am joyful about it. Yeah. Um, And when I enjoy that work and, and I am grateful for that experience. Obviously I, I got a lot out of it. I was able to anchor there um, which I would have never imagined, uh, was able to report there, all of that, the networking and all of the things, but I just was not happy. And so eventually, it's it's crazy because eventually I end up like applying for jobs, happened to get the Broadway job that I have now as a freelancer. And I want to say like maybe a couple weeks later, the pandemic happens and I get laid off, me and hundreds of other people get laid off um, from CBS. And I was like, that was a blessing because I was like, this calls the quitting anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it was a blessing. It's just really interesting how like life kind of directs you too. Like when when it's when it's that time, like life, life be life in and sometimes Right. And well if works. you're just kind of paying attention, right? Yeah. To things. So we talk a lot about we really believe that like the sixth sense is intuition. Yes. And I think it plays a big role in our in our paths. I kind of label them as like eek or like ick moments, mm. like taking into account, like what is, what is your system telling you? Like you being like, oh, I, like it's an ease. Like I really want to go to New York, but I'm scared for this, this and this reason. Or like, I don't know what it's going to look like. It's right. an e moment. It's like, it's like, I'm excited, but nervous, but I'm being pulled that way. But totally. there are barriers. And ick is like, 
ick. Like this doesn't feel good. And that's kind of a like, you're away from these things. But I feel like if you keep focusing on not just what's coming easily to you, but the things that are like making you a little like tingly, you know, where it's like, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. It could be a disaster, but like, it's I gotta exciting, see, you know, yeah, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta see. see. And I think that like when you're open to those things and open to doing the hard work associated with those things, yes. you know, the doors open and close, you mm-hmm. know, where they should all around you. I love the image of you just being like, well, if I sell my car, like kind of <laughs> almost creating a little bit more like resistance for yourself against the things that you're like, I'm over. That's a close chapter, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, um, and it's a chapter that's like felt so comfortable that I could find myself back into it. So I have to do something that prevents me from finding myself back into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and almost it's like, it's hard to completely change what you're doing, right? Like to completely be like, I'm done doing this. I'm going to start doing that. But I've also found that we're like, when you're trying to transition into something slightly different, sometimes it's just taking one first step towards a no of something like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm, I'm going to like maybe cut off this one commitment that I've been doing in this space that I'm not really interested in. I'm just going to say no to that one thing. And then it, sometimes that helps you like open the door to like, okay, actually, like I said, no to part of that thing. And actually maybe that whole thing is something I'm, I'm done with, if that makes any sense. Totally. Yeah, let's do it. Yep. So we do a little, a little fast five, um, and then we'll do a little closer, but number one, what is like your best or most memorable story journalism experience that comes to mind? Ooh, that's tough. Most memorable. Wow. It's, it's really interesting. And I feel bad saying this, but I feel like Sometimes it all just like kind of just flows together. And I'm like, I know that there is a most memorable. Unfortunately, the most memorable that I'm thinking about is negative because it was traumatic. Um, So I don't necessarily want to mention that. Oh, that's a tough one. Oh, I guess. Okay. Um, Probably most memorable. Now that I think about it, um, interview, I'd say, is uh, getting to talk to Bill Nye, which is like, you know, childhood hero. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, literally. He's like. He's like such a legend. It's like, is he even real? Right. Very cool. Yeah. I know. I was actually thinking when you were talking before too, you know, having gone from entertainment to local news and like hard news and going back to entertainment, do you think that having that contrast has informed your opinion on like the value of entertainment in society and why we seek it out and why it is actually like pretty essential to just what people are consuming. Yeah, it's really interesting because I obviously naturally feel like people consume entertainment journalism because they just kind of want to free themselves of all the other things that are happening in the world that they're seeing on TV or hearing on the radio and all of that good stuff. And perhaps that's why back then, like I I was so big on like, why isn't it deeper? But like, perhaps there's a beauty in it not being deeper. Like sometimes we just need to take a moment and like not be that deep. <laughs> right. I mean? And so I, I think there's a therapeutic aspect to that, that maybe I didn't appreciate as much back then. And thinking about it and talking about it right now. Yeah. I think I'm having this realization right now, like in real That's time. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all about ladies and gentlemen. Um, okay. So I went on a little tangent there, but, but I had been thinking that when you were talking about that transition, we'll go back to our fast five. Uh, number two is there any like affirmation or confidence boosting practice that you start your day with? Absolutely. So I, I, one thing that I always tell myself, especially when I'm nervous or I'm entering a new room that maybe there might be like CEOs in or like people that I'm not familiar with. I always tell myself, um, enter the room like you own the house, period. Like that's just it. Like enter the room like you own the house. Like nobody knows 
essentially that you're nervous right now. Nobody knows, like they only know what you present to the world. So if you're presenting yourself as confident and as inquisitive and curious and excited, those are the things that they're going to believe about you. They're not going to believe that like you're this scary girl or whatever you might be feeling in the moment. So just enter the room like you own the place. I love that. I also, I love like the reminder too, that it's like, nobody really knows what they're doing. Like some people are, are experts in certain things, but literally nobody has it all together. That's been the biggest learning where it's like, and if you enter a room, even with people that are super successful at what they're doing, or it's a high stakes thing, just remembering that it's like everybody in this room has something that is a is a hot mess in Absolutely. their life. Absolutely. You know, so like point, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But to your point, I really love that you were, use the word expert because one like thing that I do use when I'm interviewing people who I can tell are nervous, I always say, you're the expert. Like, I don't know anything about this. Yeah. So you can tell me anything and I mean, I'll fact check it, but like you're the expert and you're the expert on your own life, most importantly. So like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody's living as you. Exactly. I love that. Okay, number three, what goes through your head right before the cameras start rolling? <laughs> Honestly, before the cameras start rolling, I feel like it's always something funny. Like I always want to laugh, which is a gift and a curse because I feel like the laughter, <laughs> the laughter is nice, especially in situations where I'm nervous. But then sometimes it's just like, girl, get it together. Like I've had moments where like I could not stop laughing and I didn't know what I was laughing about, but I think it was like maybe yeah. nerves. But then sometimes that same laughter is the thing that makes me feel like, Okay, we're ready. We're good. We're yeah. laughing. We're we're good. We're ready. <laughs> I love it. That's just that's just this joy bubbling out of you. It's right. like pretty. <laughs> okay, number four to go a different direction. Something we haven't really talked about, but what was the first Airbnb you opened, and like, how did that come into into your mind? Yeah. So my first and only Airbnb right now is in Austin, Texas, and that came about. Pretty interestingly, so I had wanted to do like short-term rentals for a long time and just diving into the Airbnb arbitrage space. So I decided to take a course. I'm like a course girl. Like I'm always taking a course on something. So I decided to take a course and I thought to myself, this is doable, but not only doable, but I feel like we learned so much here that there are so many steps you can take out. You know what I mean? There are so many steps that you can take out. And then there are so many steps that maybe should have been mentioned because there are definitely times where I'm like, why didn't anybody warn me about this? Like, this is wild, (laughs) you know? Um, But that course was incredibly helpful. It made me feel empowered enough to take the leap. And um, I actually did the course maybe a few months prior to getting laid off from Rolling Stone. And I kind of had a feeling I was going to get laid off just because of the direction that the show was moving in. And my manager seemed a little unsure about things. And I just, I've been laid off before. um, So I kind of can see the signs when it's coming. And so I was like, well, Maybe this is a chance for me to do more of the things that I've wanted to do, but didn't have time to do, like stepping into full-time content creation and working with brands or like doing my Airbnb. Um, And so I learned everything I could. And thankfully, I got like a really nice severance pay. And so I was like, let me invest in this. Like, let me just see. Again, it's one of those things where it's like sink or swim. We're not going to sink. We're just going to figure it out. And I kind of did a bunch of like market research and all that stuff because it can be a little tough. Like people kept being like, why don't you do it in New York? Why don't you do it? And I'm like, honestly, the city ordinances in a lot of these places are nuts. I'm going to do it somewhere where I'm familiar, but also I don't have to jump through a thousand hoops or like hide things and do weird things. Like, I don't want to do that, you know? And so um, I landed on Austin and it was honestly a blessing in disguise uh, because initially I was like, well, I have friends in San Antonio. So if anything ever... Um, happens, I can maybe hit up some friends. But then, and in my first few weeks, I had the biggest challenge finding like cleaners and help and all that stuff. 
And I remember a friend being like, well, you know, my sister lives in Austin and I had actually met her sister, I think like a year prior, because my friend and I did like a partnership with the hotel in Austin and we brought her along for like, in a restaurant, we brought her along to one of the restaurants. And so I'm like, oh my God. And I remember her and I loved her. Like she was great. So if she's down to like help, you know, and she's in college, um, she's in college, but she's also working. And so I kind of reached out to her and she was like super excited about it. And for me, I'm also like, I feel really good putting money in a college student's pocket too. Cause I know how it is to be a college student and like, you know, needing things or wanting things that maybe you can't necessarily afford or whatever, or just having the extra money is always nice. So I'm like, this is somebody I trust. This is somebody I know. This is somebody I like, and I'd rather pay you than a random stranger who I don't trust or know, you know? Yeah. And so we kind of got that together and that has been the biggest freaking blessing And I remember there were times where I initially was doubting, like, why did I choose Austin? It's so far for me and all this stuff. But like the puzzle pieces start to come together and you're like, wow, okay, God, I see what you're doing. Okay. You know? So. Well, and even listening to that, you know, one thing that popped into my mind, you talk about like your transitions and different things. Like, you know, you kind of just breeze through like, oh, and I was like laid off and then this happened. And then I was like, okay, like I'll use this severance package to like, you know, invest in this cool thing. Like maybe this is a, you're so positive through these transitions. And I think that that's so powerful, especially for young women to hear, because I think that we can put weight on certain things where it's like, well, what if I were to get laid off from a job or like what happens, you know, if I, if something I'm doing, like, doesn't work out the way. And it's, it can seem really big in our heads when we're trying to start something to the extent that could even stop us from trying that thing. Right. But to hear your joy through everything has made you, I really, you know, we've only been talking for, you know, maybe 40 (laughs) minutes, but I feel like your ability to pursue things with joy really leads to powerful and positive transitions through anything that you want accomplish. So I love hearing that and pointing it out. Yeah. It's like a, what if, what if it works out though? You know, like, right. It's exactly. 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 And I, and I do think that there is something beautiful about being human too. And I feel like in mm-hmm. my thirties, I'm really tapping into that because for a long time, uh, like I come from a really strong African family. And I remember growing up, my dad would be like, we're strong. You don't cry, you know? And in my thirties, I've really been tapping into like, no, I do cry. I do cry. But you right? know what I don't Everybody do? Like- being able to str- to cry is, is right. strong. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But what I do do is even in those um, times when I am not the most positive and I am really feeling it or I'm doubting myself or I'm nervous or I don't know what the next thing is going to look like, I'm like, okay, you're going to experience that and you're going to feel that, but you're not going to stay there. So you're going to give yourself 24 hours to cry about it or to feel however, whatever. But after that, you got to keep going. Like You just have okay. to. Yeah. I love it. Number five is um, what are you most excited about for yourself coming up? Ooh, I think I'm most excited about the unknown. There are a lot of moving parts in regards to a lot of things. Honestly, I was talking to a friend the other day about like maybe doing an Airbnb in Phoenix. Um, And then there are always like random opportunities that have popped up for me in the journalism space, but also in the content creation space and working with brands. And so I'm just excited about like the things I don't know yet. I'm preparing myself for a really big 2024 (laughs) Um, and just like new opportunities, hoping to like host things, hoping to network, hoping to serve more um, and be in spaces where I can like give back to generations that are coming up just because I just feel like that's just so important. And that is what legacy is all about for me. Just what what am I leaving behind when I'm gone? So I love it. Well, on that note, we always end our show with a question. What was one thing that you had a, a 
trait, a quality that you had as a young person that maybe at the time you didn't really appreciate, but looking back, you love about yourself now? Yeah, I think just being vocal, honestly, um, and just being confident enough to speak up. I feel like everything I say comes with a story. I'm sorry. I know that we're trying to- I love it. That's what we're about. (laughs) Um, Believe it or not. So I've always had a like pretty raspy, deep voice. And I want to say like I was made fun of, but it's weird because I was, but I didn't care enough for it to like stop anything. So like, yeah, I was made fun of it for it. And I remember, I think I was in like, I don't remember what grade, but this was like primary school. My mom taking me to a doctor and being like, I don't know if like something's wrong with her voice. Like, can you do tests? And I remember them putting like a camera down my throat, like just trying to see like, why does this little girl have such like a big voice? Like she would always be like, yeah. it's a big voice. And the doctor was like, hey, she's fine. Like everything's, everything's good, <laughs> you know? I love it. And um, so I think just like using my voice, being confident enough to use it and being confident and it's raspiness and its loudness. Um, there's a lot of power in that. And there's a lot of like change and difference and impact that you can make with this kind of voice. I always say my voice is my moneymaker. So at this point, you know, (laughs) (laughs) well, we always tell our girls, it's like the thing that makes you different when you're young is almost always the thing that can you, that can bring you massive success as you grow, if you can continue to take care of it and let it shine. So on that note, Charlie, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Where can people find you, follow you and support what you're doing? Yeah. So on all platforms, I'm Charlie Cooper TV. So on Instagram, TikTok, on YouTube, Charlie Cooper TV. And yeah, I have a, I have a travel blog, tripsanddip.com. It's a bunch of things happening, but, but Charlie Cooper TV is where you can find me. Awesome. All right, Charlie. Well, thank you so much. We will hopefully talk to you again soon. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Appreciate you. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?